0: But this time, I do want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We are going to begin today uh, a study of Luke's Gospel. Uh, It will take us well into the weeks ahead, uh, months ahead. So, looking forward to our time as we go now back to a Gospel. The last time we were in a Gospel, as far as working through a Gospel, was the Gospel of Matthew, Uh, I think we were in Matthew when we launched as a church back in 2015. So uh, here we are in Luke chapter 1 this morning, looking forward to our time together. We're looking at verses 1 through 4 specifically today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Father, it's our desire to learn much about who you are and about the things you call us to be. But Lord, we thank you that you have also revealed very clearly your work in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we begin this time of study in Luke's gospel, would you use this to encourage us, to empower us by your Spirit, to transform us by your grace? We ask for your help as we open your word this morning and that you would instruct us by it. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's true that we live in a largely skeptical and divided age. And certainly the rise of news media today hasn't helped, or at least the development of it. I know the term fake news has become part of our daily vocabulary, and it's type of news or news stories that attempt to deliberately misinform or deceive readers with usually a political agenda behind it. It's intended to convince you of a certain way, often by distorting or twisting narrative or facts. And it's seen both on the right and on the left, and so it's not really one side or the other that's doing it. It's both that are engaged in it. You compare that to straightforward journalism, which simply is intended to report the news of the day and leave it up to the reader or viewer to draw certain conclusions based upon the report, but it seems that oftentimes, whether it's fake news or at least extremely biased news, has won the day. And because of that, we see that in our culture and in our communities, that news often has blindly, manipu- or helped help many people to be blindly manipulated and become uncertain of what's really true. Now' will hear a news report and say, well, that sounds, interesting or sounds good, but I wonder if that can be trusted. I wonder if that's accurate. I wonder if we can fact check that to see what elements of it are true. And when you live in that kind of environment for very long, what happens is not only when it comes to news coverage, you begin asking certain questions of of what's really true elsewhere. What can be trusted? These are certainly important questions that we should raise and have good answers too. Well, as we begin our new series in the Gospel of Luke today, we are in essence being confronted with a news story, but it's a very different kind of news story, a news report, if you will, uh, from much of the journalism we find today. Luke does write with an agenda, an agenda to convince you, but he's writing with an agenda to convince you, not by distorting facts, but by reporting facts truth his goal is to provide us a historical and factual account of the life and ministry of Jesus so that those who read it can have an accurate verifiable news story that teaches them about who Jesus is so that they can be led to follow him or if they are following him to be reassured in their walk with him That being said, I want us to begin now as we read from Luke's gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Luke writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. One of the things that Luke is going to make crystal clear from the very beginning is that the Christian faith is a certain and trustworthy faith. Notice he says that there in verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke is writing to a man we know here as Theophilus. means His name means lover of God. A lot of people in that day and time were named Theophilus, and so it was a common name. But we don't know all that much about him, but he's likely a new believer, Gentile believer, probably of a higher rank or class in that day and time, in that culture, and he's in need of reassurance in his faith. And certainly we know that as Luke writes to encourage him that the Lord inspired this gospel, not only for Theophilus' sake, but he orchestrated this work to bring us encouragement as well, even in our day and time today. So as we think about this, as we think about Luke's purpose, he's writing that Theophilus and by extension now, the church, that we might have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. Luke is writing with the purpose, not to twist or distort, he's writing with the purpose to provide certainty. He's giving us an account, a narrative, of the life and ministry of Jesus so that we can have certainty about the things of God, about the the work of the gospel, about the ministry, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ so that we can have certainty about who he is, about the things that we have been taught about him. So the question that, that naturally arises when we think about this is that how is it that we can be so certain? Even when Luke says that, How can we be so certain that Luke is providing us an actual truthful account? Why can we be so certain about the Christian faith in that way? I want us to seek to answer that question in the following ways. First of all, we can be certain about the Christian faith. We can be certain about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is a faith rooted in biblical fulfillment, Christianity is a faith that is rooted in biblical fulfillment. Verse 1, Luke says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled. One of the first things Luke does in his gospel is he explains not only his purpose, but he really begins to unpack for us the methods of his approach. The very first thing he says is that he says, "While others have written accounts, others have compiled narratives of the things that have been accomplished among us." And it's soon going to be very clear that the things that he speaks of are things concerning the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke is going to write a thorough narrative himself. Indeed, it's the longest narrative in the New Testament among the four gospel writers. But he clarifies an important truth up front. These are not simply things that have happened. Luke does not say, "I'm writing to compile a narrative of things that have happened." He says, "I'm writing to compile a narrative, just like others have, about things that have been accomplished." Quite an important distinction. Things that he's writing about are things that have been fulfilled. This language of fulfillment is is crucial. When we think about what Luke's doing, his narrative is going to be a narrative that describes events that are direct fulfillments of God's promises and God's plan. As we saw in our last series of uh, the Bible overview, the, the big picture series, we know that, the, that there are promises made in the Old Testament that we, when we get to the New Testament, we see that they were kept. And that's really a great way to summarize the Bible, the Old Testament being promises made, the New Testament being promises kept. It's exactly what we find when we read the Bible from beginning to end. And Luke's now writing to encourage Theophilus. Uh, he's, He's writing to encourage him that through this detailed summary of what he's going to give, he's not detailing these series of chance occurrences. He's not just simply writing to explain things that have happened. He's writing a detailed account of things that have been fulfilled, things that have been accomplished. These accomplishments are actual events that have taken place, actual events that have been accomplished in accordance with God's word. Just to give you some idea of how how big this is, throughout the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, we see somewhere in the range of 2,500 foreshadowings or promises of future events made made as promises, things that have been prophesied, 2,500 prophecies. Of those, 2,000 Give or take a few, have been fulfilled. For example, one of the 2,000. Prophet Micah in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And when you get to Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see that that's exactly what takes place that when Jesus comes on the scene, he's born in Bethlehem. Things like that have been detailed very meticulously, all throughout the Old Testament. And now what Luke is doing, he's writing in accordance with those promises made, saying the promises made are promises that have been kept. He's writing to give us a narrative of these fulfillments. And these were fulfillments of God's saving promises. You know, Luke, what he does here is he's establishing a very very important theological point. Even in this first verse, He's making a theological statement. He's saying, I'm writing inasmuch as as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. He's already saying out of the gate that I'm, just like these other folks, I'm going to be writing an account, a narrative of things that God has done. Things that God has done. And it's just a reminder to us that the good news concerning the life and work of Jesus Christ The gospel, the good news, is something that God accomplishes, not something that we do. Right here out of the gate, Luke is affirming that in a very indirect way as he talks about the things that have been accomplished. He's affirming out of the gate that this is a work that God does. It's important for a variety of reasons when we think about that alone. But I think one of the things that we constantly see that churches and Christians are often tempted by is to be driven by messages that are not centered on God and his accomplishments, but rather on what churches are doing themselves. The message that oftentimes finds itself in in the context of Christian circles is a message not centered on God's accomplishments, not centered on what God has done to fulfill his promises, but rather what we find more and more that is the case in Christian circles is a message that is more focused on you and what you can accomplish or how God is really the best means for which to accomplish your end in mind. Luke helps us, even right here in verse 1, to put things in proper perspective by reminding us that this is a story about God's accomplishments, about God's purposes, about God's fulfillments. So it's a faith that is rooted in biblical fulfillment. This is not just something that was captured out of a dream or a vision in a cave somewhere like so many other uh, world religions and cults often do. They, claim certain, they make certain truth claims based upon one person's experience in a, in a cave or through a vision or through a dream. But what Luke is writing, just as many others have written, is writing a, an account that is rooted in biblical fulfillment. There's thousands of events that have taken place out in the open that have now been fulfilled. Second, Point that we could consider this morning as we think about why we can be so certain about the Christian faith is that not only is the Christian faith a faith rooted in biblical fulfillment, it's a faith documented by reliable witnesses. It's a faith documented by reliable witnesses. Verses 1 and 2 you see that inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a Kapala narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. He still hadn't ended his sentence yet. He begins to not only start off this this gospel by referring to the work of others, but he also talks about eyewitnesses. Notice here, as he talks about those who've compiled a narrative, he's already acknowledging there's been others that have written about it. Most scholars agree and believe, and it's pretty much a consensus, that Luke actually had Mark's gospel when he wrote this gospel. Used it maybe as an outline of his own, but certainly Luke fills in a whole lot of other information Uh, outside of Mark's account that we don't have uh, in Mark that we do have in Luke. And so Luke is affirming there have been others who have written about the life and ministry of Jesus. Certainly even maybe some agree that, that he's given a head nod here to some oral tradition, truth that have been passed down orally. He doesn't specify exactly those he's talking about. He's acknowledging though that he's not a lone ranger in this. He's not the guy in the cave by himself. There's others that have actually said the same things. We know that there's at least three other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But not only are, we, are there written accounts of the ministry of Jesus, there were many eyewitnesses. The emphasis placed on eyewitnesses here is, is significant. These, these things that Luke is writing, these, these things are not merely hearsay. These are not just things, oh, I heard about this. But these are actually verified through a variety of different eyewitnesses. Friends, if Christianity was ever able to be taken to a court of law because of the truth claims it makes, then one of the ways that we would be certain that it would go unscathed in the claims against it would be due to the number of eyewitnesses that we could bring to the bench that would verify the accuracy and the detail of what has taken place historically. The truth claims of the Christian faith did not originate in the mind of one person or delivered by a mysterious angel. The details of how the gospel unfolded happened in the open before the eyes of so many people. And so Luke's account that he's now compiling himself is not something based on his own imagination or based upon his own speculation. It was actually grounded in evidence and in history. Notice if you read the gospel, and we're going to, right? We're gonna work through this thing. Verse five, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. He, he lists names and places and dates. If you go to chapter two, he's talking about Caesar Augustus. In Luke chapter three, it's the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. All of these are historical periods of times that have been verified. Those of you that don't think history is important, it's important, right? You need history because it documents what the Lord has done throughout the course of human history. But I want to go back to the eyewitnesses for just a moment. Luke's talking about these eyewitnesses, and not just like one or two. He's not saying, hey, there's just one or two people that actually saw these things take place. There are a number of people that saw these things take place. You had the 12, certainly the the 12 apostles. You had Jesus' own family. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, verse 16, he says, for we did not follow the de- cleverly devised myths when we, were, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. He was talking about the transfiguration there. He said, I was there. He's not making this up. This is not some, mis- this, some de- cleverly devised myth. I was actually there and I heard this voice. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse three, says, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, as Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. As we know that even there early on, the, the women that were at the tomb that came to verify the truth of the resurrection, there were so many, so many eyewitnesses. And this is, friends, one of the things that sets apart Christianity from virtually all the other religions in the world, other cults in the world most of those, if not the vast majority, or all of those outside of Christianity are centered around the claims of one person or through a particular vision. But the ministry of Jesus took place in full view of so many eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses saw, they spoke, and Luke and others then took the opportunity to write these things down. Friends, we are able to bear witness to the validity of the gospel today in large part because of the faithful eyewitnesses of Jesus' day who saw and passed down the things that He did and the things that He accomplished. A couple things to just take away for that for just a moment. First of all, we we know that there are many in our day and time, and, and certainly this has been the case for throughout human history in various forms and ways, many who don't like truth or they certainly don't like truth claims. More specifically, what it would sound like is, is we live in a culture today when you make certain claims, people, they don't like your truth claim. They have their own truth to claim, so to speak, but they don't like your particular take on the truth. And so then truth becomes relative. And the minute someone doesn't like your truth, you're immediately cast aside or rejected So facts will be distorted. Truth is often compromised and rejected, twisted, in order to advance someone else's call to truth. But the point Luke is making here about the faith is that it's founded not upon someone's version of the truth, but it's founded upon actual historical events that have been verified throughout human history. This is not Luke's truth. It's his account of the truth that took place. And again, when you compare this to others, you compare Luke's, Luke's narrative, especially to the other gospels, we have a narrative that is not radically different or radically altered from the other gospel writers. We have a narrative that confirms exactly what the other gospel writers confirmed. Right? So you see that the that, that truth that, that Luke's unpacking is that the Christian faith is based on events that actually happened. You even have extra-biblical writers, people outside of the Bible confirming the very things that took place historically. Secondly, it's important to see these eyewitnesses. You can talk about the gospel writers. Luke was not a direct eyewitness, though he had access to those who were direct eyewitnesses. But it's important to see these eyewitnesses and their approach to recording these narratives. They were not self-serving. They didn't claim any of the spotlight for themselves. But they gave a narrative via their own personality and experience for sure. But they gave a narrative to the work. They gave an account of the work of Jesus, not an account of their own life. They're pointing to Jesus. And we would do, we would do so well to learn from their, their example. We should never seek to claim a higher dignity and honor than even the early apostles and eyewitnesses did. They simply recorded and passed down what they heard and what they saw, and it was all centered upon Jesus. As we seek to bear witness to the claims of the gospel and the Christian faith, even in our day and time, it's just a reminder to us that it's not our name that we're striving to put forward. It's the work and name of Jesus that we hold out to others. And friends, my hope and prayer for this church, for your life, for my life, is that we would be a community of believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, known in our greater community, not because of who goes to church here, but because of what this church is centered upon. That we are eyewitnesses in a way, indirectly, through God's revealed scripture of the truth and ministry of Jesus, that we would be known not for what's going on here through some personality, or through some kind of niche ministry, but we would be known to the community because we're a congregation that believes the truth about Jesus Christ and that that's what we're about. When churches build around personalities or ministry niches, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing in and of itself, it's, it's okay to have strength as a congregation, but when churches and ministries build around personalities or niches or anything but Christ, then that is a congregation that will lose its true impact in the community. We learned just indirectly here through Luke's example, through the eyewitnesses, that they were all about recording the truth about what Jesus did, not about what they were about. Just something that we can be encouraged by. So secondly, it's a faith documented by reliable witnesses. Number three, a third reason why we can trust the Christian faith being true, why it's certain, is that it's a faith examined by careful study. Look at verse three. After affirming the previous people who've accomplished or written narratives, compiled narratives, Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So far, Luke has pointed to the evidence of biblical fulfillment, to the eyewitnesses But now he's saying, I want to join in in that tradition to also add my own account." He says, it seemed good to me also to do this. It's not as if Luke finds the other narratives lacking. It's not like he had Mark's gospel and say, Mark really missed it. Let me clarify, let me clean this up. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, I too have information that I want to share about the life and ministry of Jesus. prompted by the Holy Spirit, he's joining in in this tradition to compiling a narrative of the things that Christ came and accomplished. He feels as if he has something substantial to contribute, and he certainly does. You compare Luke's gospel to some of the other gospels, they, they all kind of have their, their place and their perspective uh, of the same realities. But Luke has quite a bit more that he, he, he unpacks for us. Not only that, he writes a sequel, the book of Acts. So you have Luke who wrote Luke and Luke who wrote Acts. I want you to know several characteristics about Luke's approach, about his study, about his care, the care that he took. Number one, it was he followed the story of Jesus, the ministry, the life and ministry of Jesus closely. He's taken great care in his investigation. Luke's gospel contains unique contributions that the other gospel writers don't include, but he includes such as Mary's conversation with Elizabeth or Mary's song or the details of Jesus's life, just a little snapshot there of when Jesus was 12 in the temple. I mean, how would Luke know these things unless he had access to them? Some think that he had direct access to Mary, who was able then to come and, and unpack for us these events that we wouldn't have in other writings. He followed the story closely. He accompanied Paul later on in Paul's missionary journeys. We know from Acts 4 as an example. And so we know that he had experienced a lot, at least in the working out of what happens in Acts. That's why he's able to record in such vivid detail the missionary journeys of Paul. But he knows that this gospel wouldn't be the result of some vision he had had or something that he quickly put together. It's a very carefully written gospel. But notice the second thing is that he says he goes back to the beginning. It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past. He did some comprehensive investigation. In fact, we know that that Luke's gospel doesn't begin with the ministry of Jesus. It begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. He knows that the fulfillment starts with John's arrival, not with the arrival of the Messiah. So he's... Takes great care to to present a comprehensive, an account. He was well-informed is another thing. He says he followed all things closely. He paid attention. He kept up with this this new movement, and he studied it meticulously, apparently having access to many of the eyewitnesses early on. And notice that he says, after following all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. You need to understand what he's saying there. When he says, I'm writing an orderly account, it's not as if he's dissatisfied with Mark's account, as if Mark wrote some kind of scattered account or any of the other uh, narratives that maybe he had had access to. But what he means there is not some temporal order or chronological order. It means that Luke sought to give more of a persuasive and logical order or treatment of his gospel. If you think that the gospel writers just, you know, Sometimes I don't know what we think. I don't know sometimes what I think, but um, sometimes we, we, we read a book of the Bible or a particular gospel account and we don't really think about the structure of it. Luke took great pains to put together an orderly account. The structure of this gospel is on purpose. He wrote what he wrote in the order in which he wrote, wrote it with a purpose in mind. That's why his gospel is arranged in the way that it is. It, it demonstrates intentionality, not the result of some haphazard work. Not, to, not, the, not the result of some kind of quick, quick work that somebody just compiled very, very fast. You do see a chronological order, broadly speaking. It's not a strict chronology. But there is chronology here. But you also see a geographical order. Luke's gospel tracks Jesus starting in and around Galilee in the first nine chapters. Then it finds Jesus moving towards Jerusalem in chapters 9 through 19. And then finally to Jerusalem in chapters 19 through 24. And then if you pick up the sequel in the book of Acts, it begins to work backwards out the, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So there's a, very intense, there's a clear intentionality that Luke has here just in his geographical presentation of his gospel. We also know that there seems to be a theological order as, as the gospel moves along a trajectory emphasizing Jesus' role as prophet in the first six chapters. His role as priest in chapters seven through nine and then later on in 19 through 24 as king. So you get this picture of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king even presented here in Luke's account. Luke's gospel is an account that's the, it's the fruit of careful research and intentional structure. He's not writing his own opinion. He's not writing just things that popped into mind or things that that he thought would be interesting. He's taking great care in writing what he did. Brothers and sisters, it's a reminder for us that it's important that our faith be based upon something that is verifiable. Listen, the Christian faith is not a shot in the dark. The Christian faith is not just another option among many that. You know, if it sounds better than the other options out there, then then cling to it. We're all going to get to the same point in the end. That's not at all the case. The, The Christian faith is a faith that has been historically verified through countless eyewitnesses, through countless investigations. And it's not just a faith in the mysterious. Friends, your faith is only as good as the object it rests upon. We say that again, your faith is only as good as the object that it rests upon. And listen, Christianity has been tested. It has been tested countless times over and it continues to pass the test. Historically, archaeologically. Again, we see how things continue to affirm the things that have been written. It's a historical faith that's been verified throughout history and documented by many. Friend, I would, just, I would just speak to you. If you're here today and you're particularly wrestling with the claims of Christianity, well, number one, we're glad you're here, we're thrilled. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're, you're not a Christian, you're not a but you've got questions about the Christian faith and you're just, you're just not sure about it. Friends, I would just ask you that, do the beliefs that you have provide you with certainty? So what we're claiming is that the Christian faith historically verified through countless eyewitnesses, through countless efforts to, through, throughout historical research. If you're wrestling with Christianity, do, do your beliefs, does your worldview offer you the kind of certainty we're saying and what Luke is saying that is provided for you through the gospel? Are you willing to risk eternity Because you base your life upon your own thoughts and not the truth claims you find in Scripture. I would just encourage you, before you take such a risk, consider how limited and imperfect of a life we all have. We're all limited. And for us, and this happens more often than we think. We all do this to some degree. We all come to things with 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 the lens of our own thoughts and opinions and perspectives, and we often evaluate and examine things as if we are the expert and that our opinion is above all else. We all do that. Even as Christians, we do this. And so are we saying that we're willing to come to the scripture and to the gospel accounts, such as we find here in Luke, with the perspective of saying, My thoughts are king and my perspective is king and I'm willing to risk eternity on whether or not these things are true based upon what I think, instead of basing eternity upon that which has been revealed and historically verified. It's a faith that's been examined by careful study. These are not just random thoughts. Number four, it's a faith that is is established for a diverse community. I want you to come back to Theophilus for a moment. Theophilus is the original recipient of this gospel. Most agree that it was a person. Theophilus, lover of God, some say, could be like lover of God generally. It could be the church that Luke is writing to, but it seems that he's writing to a person just because of his reference there to most excellent Theophilus is a most excellent was a phrase often used in that culture in that day and time to refer to someone oftentimes of high ranking standard or high ranking official or someone that was well known and Theophilus likely as a new convert found himself in a predominantly Jewish community as a gentile believer and Luke is writing to encourage him even if he you know it's speculation that he could have been struggling to fit into that community or or whatever the case may be. But, But Luke is writing to encourage Theophilus to say, listen, the things that you have been taught, these things are verified. These things are true. You belong here, Theophilus. You belong to this community of faith. Luke's narrative was to convince him that these things are true and that he belonged where he was that you may have certainty, he says, concerning the things you have been taught. You know, doubt has a strange way of creeping into our lives at some point. Whether new in the faith, or even if you've been a believer for a long time, we will go through seasons where we struggle. And I've said this before, and some people don't believe this, but I firmly believe virtually every Christian will have a crisis of faith at some point. Every Christian, I'm firmly convinced, will have a crisis of faith at some point. And one of the gifts that God gives us, such as the Gospel of Luke, is a gift intended to encourage us concerning the truth about Jesus Christ that we may have certainty. Maybe that, maybe not doubt that, that you struggle with, but that may be that you go through seasons of life where you struggle to, to fit into the Christian community. And, and what Luke does is he teaches us That the gospel takes outsiders and makes them insiders. He addresses, in fact, as we walk through the gospel of Luke, what you're going to find is a unique kind of emphasis Luke provides us. Because as he writes his gospel, he goes out of his way to demonstrate that Jesus has compassion towards those specifically that society has largely forgotten or even rejected. He addresses the poor. He addresses tax collectors. He addresses sinners generally. The Samaritans, who the Jews certainly would have not cared for. The Gentiles, he has a particular emphasis even on the role and importance and value and dignity of women. He goes out of his way to show how all of these, at least in this culture, in this day and time, who have kind of been pushed to the side as second class. Now Luke brings into this gospel and shows that these all have value and worth and dignity. Jew, Gentile, male, female slave or free, all of you belong because of the gospel. And that's exactly what Luke is saying here, even to Theophilus, a very well-established, high-ranking Gentile official living in a predominantly Jewish culture, predominantly, at this point in time, a Jewish community of faith. So I'm writing to encourage you that you may have certainty about the truths of these realities concerning Jesus and that you belong in this community. If anything that we find in Luke, Luke is about telling us and encouraging us that you belong to the kingdom of God no matter who you are. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to follow him, that you belong to this community. And we all enter the same way. We all come into the faith through the same gospel. And So what we're going to find here is just encouragement to us as Christians that we should love and be patient, that we should welcome one another, that we should be intentional in pursuing one another. Because God is about building this community of faith that is comprised of so many different kinds of people in the world. We should be encouraged by that as we see that it's a faith established for a diverse community. And that only, friends, that's part of the the, the witness of the validity of the Christian faith. You can't take so many different kinds of people, so much diversity in the world and bring them all together in one community and one family and it makes sense. Only the gospel can do that. And it's a beautiful thing when Jesus brings people from all diverse backgrounds and all kinds of cultures, all kinds of life experiences, all kinds of socioeconomic levels, all kinds of, of realities that we experience in this world and he brings us together into one community. We're just a little snapshot of it. We don't have all the different kinds of people in the world, certainly in this church. But that's what he's doing throughout the world today is he's bringing us all into one family. And this is just a reminder to us, just this little little comment to Theophilus. And what you're gonna find emphasized throughout the Gospel of Luke is that friends, you can have certainty and no matter who you are, you belong. So whether it's a high-ranking official like Theophilus or people right here in St. Mary's County, the Gospel of Luke is a gift from God to confirm the truth of who Jesus is and to reassure us of that truth and to encourage us to live out that truth in this community. Friend, if you're not living with that kind of confidence, if you still have questions, friends, we welcome you and we welcome your questions. We wanna love you and we wanna be patient with you. We wanna to listen to you. We wanna walk with you through those questions and maybe crises of faith that you may be having. If you're not living with that kind of confidence, then it would be our delight and joy to walk with you. You're at the right place if you have those kinds of questions. We want to venture on that journey together with you. And as we do, the claims of Jesus will continue to be an encouragement to all of our souls. Friends, it's a day that we live in that's dominated by so much opinion So much bias, so much fake news, but we should find it so refreshing that when we open the Gospel of Luke, we're not talking about news that's been distorted. We're talking about good news that's been verified and we can take comfort in that because Jesus is King and he is Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us understanding this morning Of it, Father, it's our prayer that you would continue to take your word and that you would write it upon the hearts of your people and that you continue to change us and grow us in it. So Lord, would you help us this morning as we think about even these opening lines of Luke's gospel, that we would find ourselves encouraged in what is true. Maybe, Lord, that there are some who are here this morning that are continuing to struggle And they continue to wonder what is true and what is to be trusted. Father, would you continue to work in their hearts and lives and would you continue to help their understanding of who you are to grow? Father, we ask that you would work in us in ways that we could never fathom and that you continue to make us more and more like yourself. Father, we thank you for the hope that's ours in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.